0: Hey everyone, Eric here. We're really excited about a new AI show from Turpentine called Autopilot, hosted by Will Summerlin. This podcast explores the adoption and rollout of AI in the industries that drive the economy and the dynamic tech founders bringing rapid scalable change to slow-moving industries from law to hardware to aviation. Will interviews founders backed by Benchmark, Greylock, YC, and more to learn how they're automating at the frontiers in entrenched industries. Click on the link in the description to subscribe to Autopilot.
1: The question then arises, okay, like, how can we at all make systematic progress towards understanding the future of AI systems where we do not have empirical access? We still want to make progress somehow. And, and ideally, we want that progress to be systematic and not just, you know, getting lucky. You should always be suspicious of the analogies and proxies you use. But if you use a bunch of them and they sort of, like, converge or sort of, like, re- on some aspect, you should be more confident about those aspects. The sort of, like, pluralistic perspective and seeking for sort of, like, Epistemic robustness through plural perspectives is what I'm after.
2: Hello, and welcome to The Cognitive Revolution, where we interview visionary researchers, entrepreneurs, and builders working on the frontier of artificial intelligence. Each week, we'll explore their revolutionary ideas, and together, we'll build a picture of how AI technology will transform work, life, and society in the coming years. I'm Nathan LeBenz, joined by my co-host, Eric Torenberg. Hello, and welcome back to The Cognitive Revolution. Recently, I had the honor of being invited by Jan Tallin, leading AI investor and philanthropist and former Cognitive Revolution guest, to serve as a recommender in the Survival and Flourishing Fund's Fall 2023 grant-making process. Over the course of two months, five other recommenders and I worked our way through roughly 150 grant applications, and yes, I did read every single one conducting in-depth research and interviews with the groups that we considered most promising. And ultimately, we used a formal deliberation known as the S-Process to officially recommend grants to Jan and the fund's other donors. In the course of that project, I had the opportunity to meet the leaders of a number of AI safety-focused nonprofits. And now that the grant process is complete and the checks have been sent, I'm planning to invite a number of them on the show to talk about their various approaches to advancing our understanding of and preparedness for AI risks. Contrary to some recent conspiracy theories you might've seen online, I have found this space to be remarkably transparent with funders regularly publishing their grants, and this was the case for the Survival and Flourishing Fund grant process, and also the grantees themselves, often publishing their plans and status reports. So today, to kick off this series, and we will be weaving this in with other types of guests over the next month or two, my guest is Nora Aman co-founder and director of PIBS, a research initiative focused on the principles of intelligent behavior in biological and social systems. Regular listeners to the show will know that I often worry that most of us, myself included at times, are still thinking too small about AI, because not only are the AI systems fast becoming more powerful, but we're also deploying them at a faster pace than any previous technology has ever been deployed. What this will ultimately entail, I of course don't know, but I do expect all kinds of surprises. And so with that in mind, I was excited to meet Nora and learn more about her work. She really impressed me as one of few people who is thinking appropriately big about the future of AI while also maintaining an impressive level of epistemic humility and rigor. Her work, as you'll hear, is an attempt to create an entirely new and highly interdisciplinary approach to understanding the future of AI. And while she's still early in that process, and the research is fundamentally challenged by the fact that the AI systems of greatest interest don't yet exist, I'm certainly among those who believe that timelines to some form of transformative AI could end up being quite short. And thus, I consider her work to be both important and urgent. As always, if you're finding value in the show, I'd ask that you take a moment to share it with friends. This episode in particular, I'd suggest sending to a brilliant friend currently working in a more mature field whose brainpower might be more valuable if they applied it to the study of AI. And with that, I hope you're inspired by this conversation about new angles on AI safety research with Nora Amman of PIBs. Nora Aman, co-founder and director of PIBs and research associate at the Alignment of Complex Systems Research Group at Charles University. Welcome to the Cognitive Revolution. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited to talk to you because I think you have a really unique and interesting perspective on all things AI safety and AI alignment. And, you know, one of my big ideas and honestly, the reason I do this show is because I think broadly, we as a society are not really ready for what is coming at us with the rapid development of AI systems. And I think we need a lot more people bringing their unique perspectives to the challenge of figuring out what is it that we are creating and you know what is likely to happen as a result of all this. So uh, you know you have such a, a unique angle on that, and I want to kind of unpack it in, in depth. but hopefully, you know one of the things I, I hope we can accomplish here is to maybe inspire some people. To think that, hey, you know, I don't have necessarily a background in machine learning, but maybe I still actually could bring a useful perspective to this grand society-wide, you know, defining challenge of our time of figuring out like what's up with AI. So, uh, hopefully, you know, that we will, um, as we get into all the different angles, you know, that you approach the problem from, and and all the work that you've done to start to bring people from various backgrounds into the study of AI, hopefully will inspire some others uh, to come along. For starters, how about maybe just giving us a introduction to the way that you think about AI safety, AI alignment, you know, let's get the Nora take on, uh, on on this, you know, framing question.
1: I think there exists quite a few different frames on like w- what AI risk is about, or maybe what AI safety and alignment is about. And I, I don't want to frame this as sort of like the the right or authoritative way of thinking, but I think it's actually productive to also play with different frames on this. But there is the one way I like to think about it that is like sort of airing on the more like pragmatic or deflationary sense. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like in very simple terms, what what's the this- what's the main thing here, and then and then we can still build on. You know sophisticated theory of what exactly is the worry but like yeah in the most simple terms i think the way i look at the space is something like first well it seems like we are building these systems that just like become sort of increasingly powerful increasingly capable increasingly sophisticated in in how they can act in like complex environments so like that's the thing that seems going to be going on you know chat coming out, et cetera. Um, And then I think on the other hand, um, there's like also like a tendency um, for these systems to like come to be in positions or come to be used in ways that like um, really like make increasingly consequential decisions. And then as sort of a third premise here is like, we don't actually like in a very technical sense, have not figured out how to like tell these systems to do anything we want reliably we don't we don't know how to do that we uh you know like they they do sometimes what we want and and but sometimes they don't do what we want and i think the combination of these three things is is really worrying um so like the more we sort of like automate um big important critical decisions away to systems we don't know how they act we don't know how to like make do things that we want um reliably that seems problematic and i think that's sort of how i like Look at AI risk at the very sort of like far away perspective. And then I think from there, we can sort of dig more deeply into like, cool, like, why in the first place is it hard to let like get these systems to do what we want reliably? Like, why is this hard and not easy? Like, yeah, why is this not, not easy? And then I think there you can get into like a much more fine grained or like detailed sort of discussion about. What are the reasons for this? Is is this in fact the case? And then, if so, what are the reasons for this, which can maybe provide one frame towards like what's the, what are the obstacles to be overcome, such so that we could have AI systems that we can like trust in how they act or or understand in how they how they act.
2: You know, when people talk about AI safety, and I, unfortunately, I think the the discourse around these topics is kind of growing coarser and more polarized at the moment in unfortunate ways. And one of the things that people often say is like, oh, you're just kind of making everything up. And, you know, this is all super speculative and these systems don't even exist yet. And, you know, therefore it's all fanciful and we shouldn't worry about it. And I think you have a great way of reframing that, that is both a lot more prudent in my mind, but also invites new and more productive ways of thinking about the problem, and that's your framing of epistemic access. So tell us how you frame this problem of thinking about, you know, trying to get a handle on these systems that we haven't even invent- invented yet.
1: Yeah, so, th- so the, the, the key idea here, and, and this is also sort of maybe the like main motivating uh, sort of premise for like PIPs, like one of the projects um, I'm directing, it's just the idea that cool. So like, we are we are like building increasingly advanced AI systems. Maybe in some important way, the like the systems we might be most worried about, like the systems we like least understand, and also might be like most powerful. Those systems don't necessarily exist yet, and or sort of like we maybe don't just want to do like trial and error um, to like figure out how they work because because they on the premise here like would be um, like really powerful, or like could potentially already have like a lot of um, like potentially harmful impact, and what what this describes, I think, is like yeah, what I call an epistemic access problem, and this refers basically to just like looking at what is the the like normal typical way for like science to make progress in understanding, like science in its core sort of like depends on empirical access um, to a phenom- phenomena. In order to be able to falsify your hypothesis, or in engineering sort of that like, trial and error approach, you like you try something, it doesn't work. You try a slightly different thing, it still doesn't work. You try yet another thing and it works. Right. That's kind of like that's like in some sense the core of the machinery of our like collective societal sense-making knowledge building machinery. And um, the premise here is that like which with questions regarding the future of AI, we don't have access to sort of the basic gears of that machinery. But nevertheless, like we wanna we wanna understand something about what what's gonna what's gonna happen and how to like make what's gonna happen go well. The question then arises: okay, like how can we at all make systematic progress towards understanding the future of AI systems, where we do not have empirical access? And and then I think from there, sort of like that having that as the problem statement, from there we can be like, well, cool, like we still wanna make progress somehow, and and ideally we want that progress to be systematic and not just you know getting lucky. And then I like. Think about maybe the like research space on uh, that that is like trying to tackle about th- these questions and like something we can we can divide up in in different um, spaces depending on how they they tackle that epistemic access
2: problem. So tell us how you categorize the approaches to this today, and I think you're in a sense creating your own like third way. But to to kind of contrast your uh, you know field building approach against those that have emerged already, why don't you start by telling us how you kind of conceptualize the approaches to trying to understand this AI future that others have been pursuing so far, and then you can you know tell us about the the new paradigm that you're developing.
1: I mean, this is, again is not the, like the only way of of thinking about or carving up the, the research space, but I think it's like one productive way. The idea is roughly, okay, so we have this epistemic access problem and different research or like epistemic approaches um, try to tackle this epistemic access problem in different ways. Uh, so for example, I think uh, maybe the most prominent way that is like going on is what I would like roughly refer to just as like the most typical sort of like ML technical safety types of approach, where here the key, the key assumption that goes into um, this epistemic approach is to say that the sort of systems we are most worried about, like the sort of future AI systems uh, we are interested in, they will in important ways be similar to the state of the art ML systems we have at the moment. Such that understanding more about these state of the art ML systems, um, understanding how they, like the ways in which they may be unsafe, understanding how to make them safe, all of these sort of insights, they will translate to these these future systems we are interested in. Uh, so assumption being. In in some important ways, state of the art ML is similar to the future systems. Thus, our insights about current systems will translate to future systems. Another way, another research approach that is also used um, makes maybe another makes another basic assumption. One I often talk about is mostly being about um, sort of trying to think about okay, let's imagine sort of like an idealized rational agent. Let's assume that highly advanced AI systems will act pretty much like these idealized systems. You might argue for this either because you think the future advanced systems we are thinking of—they are just very powerful, so they like just in practice will come very close to like acting like that these idealized systems, or because you think this mm-hmm. is just like a good way to get started. Like I think uh, like idealizing is something that is like happening across the sciences, right? You like you start with like an idealized like simplified model, and then you like maybe over time try to like nuance and and make it more realistic. But like that can also be a productive epistemic approach. So I think that that's that's like research directions that are often informed by, like maybe formal epistemology, decision theory, rational action actor models in in economics, and then making arguments from this. So like a bunch of the sort of very classical discussion on AI risk in particular, where we're like talking about uh, basic AI drives, um, something that Omohundro introduced. I think in twenty twelve or like instrumental convergence, power seeking arguments. These are often conceptual arguments that sort of like look at okay, like an idealized or like going towards an idealized powerful agent, they would you know, see these constraints, select acting these in these ways, and like what risks do that does that propose? Or again, what would it look like for these systems to be safe? So I think these are like these like are at least characterized as like two important, like high level epistemic
0: approaches. Hey We'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors.
2: But obviously that's not all that one could do. So I guess another big, just brief commentary for me is that I always kind of keep coming back to this thought that we're all still thinking too small. And, you know, these, there are certainly plenty of big thoughts to be found in, in both of these different approaches that you've described, but it does seem still like there's a lot out there you know that is not captured by either kind of school of of thought so far you know for one thing I, i'm always repeating too this mantra that neither the human brain nor the transformer are likely to be the end of history and so you know i don't know how different the ai systems of the next few years are likely to be as compared to what we have today but i would be very surprised if it's you know just a bigger transformer you know that is continues to drive progress and i certainly think we're seeing even just you know over the last few months as far as i can tell an acceleration of results where new architectures that have pretty profound differences from transformers especially as it relates to like you know, essentially, kind of bringing recurrence, you know, just, just ways of bringing information forward through time that do not depend on this like super finite attention window. That seems to be where like a huge frontier is. And that's such a weakness of the current systems that they have these like very brittle, kind of finite memories that that alone, you know, it seems like it could really change how the AIs of 2025, you know, look compared to and behave compared to the the ones of today. You know, on the, on the pure reason side, who knows what will happen there? You know, we that, the, I, I'm old enough to remember when the thought was like, yeah, we're going to get these like hyper rational agents, you know, that are going to, you know, never make mistakes. And that's going to be really powerful, but problematic, whatever. That doesn't seem to be like so much the kinds of things that we're getting. But then you look also at some of the the fundamental research that hasn't quite hit the you know, the deployment phase yet. And you you do see some like proto agents that look like they, you know, may also have a, a real role to play in the future. So I do think those are, you know, again, both like there's a lot there for both of them. But even then I would be like, yeah, it still feels like it's a little small. This is what has attracted me so much to, to your work. I, I'm always kind of like, but how is the world going to change in response? You know, th- th- there's like, there's so many all of you know everything we've talked about so far kind of tries to look at the ai largely in isolation you know and figure out like what is it what does it do can we look at the internals can we you know change around how it how it works internally can we can we detect what's going on inside whatever and and very little of the work that i see gets into what are the dynamics going to look like as things get deployed and that is at least what that's one of, not the only, but that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about the the line that you are taking on this. So with that uh, setup, tell us about your uh, kind of third way to approaching the uh, understanding of AIs that don't yet exist.
1: Yeah. So like, first I'm going to do sort of the very broad framing and then we can get into some of the more more details. So like what concretely this, this might produce in terms of research. I think the very broad framing on like this epist- like broad epistemic approach is something like kind of the the premise or the underlying assumption that like maybe intelligent behavior as like a phenomena in the world is is governed to some extent by the same or similar principles irrespective of like what system or specific substrate or specific sa- scale it's implemented in and if this this assumption is true at least to some extent then it's sort a of warrants the idea that like oh like can we go look at currently existing systems that implement intelligent behavior in the wild that we can epistemically access and can like insights about what how intelligent behavior is like implemented in the wild can that help us um inspire or actually just transfer insights to the like ai question specifically so so that's and, and obviously that's like a very broad um space right like here i'm talking about Um, intelligent behavior being like implemented in the brain. Um, So that's sort of a very standard example. I'm talking about like in sort of biological systems, whether that's like in an evolutionary sense, in an ecological sense, in the sense of like what do my cells do compared to like my entire body and how do like things scale up into tissue and into sort of like this like larger organism. And I'm also talking to some extent about social systems, right? Like several ag- human agents um economic agents interacting with each other producing sort of complex sophisticated behavioral dynamics that again we can like look at from this um intelligent behavior um perspective and like ask like are there parallels are there like insights we can use from there
2: is there a definition of intelligence that you could extract from that because you know it's really interesting i'm like i feel like i'm somewhat intelligent i feel like cells typically people don't think of as being intelligent but then you look at some you know video of an amoeba running around and it's like clearly doing something you know pretty sophisticated and I don't think people usually think of like the economy as necessarily being you know I think we we maybe just kind of couple the notion of intelligence to like our subjective experience but you're obviously working with a somewhat broader definition do you have a definition of intelligence that you use?
1: I, yeah, I'm definitely working with a broader notion of intelligent behavior here, and I think in particular, I'm like, in general, I'm coming at it less from a place where I'm like, oh, I like know what the definition is, and and this is the definition, this is what I mean by it, and more like, cool. So there's definitely stuff going on in the world um, that's like complex and sophisticated and doing doing things, and like some of it looks quite like intelligence as I would naturally think of some something a bit less, but like, what is the difference between these things really? Is there a, a bright line? insofar as there isn't like what just really is going on under the hood and maybe with the sort of like aspiration of like hopefully or possibly finding what i often refer to as sort of like a naturalized account of like intelligent behavior so like i'm interested in yeah like how how is implemented right like like insofar as i am as a human can be described as doing intelligent behavior like what is it that i'm doing and then how is this similar or different from what other systems are doing? And I'm like not trying to say we all all these systems are doing exactly the same thing or intelligent in the same way, but I am interested in similarities and dissimilarities of like just the like the dynamics they're implementing and it seems like a lot of these systems are able to do what we might describe as like systematic work like an economy is able to some extent to like allocate resources efficiently like that's like, if you would give me the task to do that, I would have to like think really hard and would be pretty bad at it. Like there's sort of work involved, and like um, like an organism sort of like developing from like a single cell into like a fully developed organism, like has to figure out which which parts have to go where, and like you know like what 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 um, proteins to produce, etc. So, like that's you know like th- that is something. There's like work happening. How is this implement? how, how is this actually happening? Um, and is there yeah is there like shared principles? to how this how this occurs
2: sometimes i just think of like inputs and outputs you know i that's kind of how i i always have a habit when i'm talking to somebody who's developed you know whether it's a new research product or a project or a a commercial product or whatever i try to ground the discussion a lot of times and just saying like okay what are the you've made some ai thing what are the inputs and what are the outputs and you know then we can kind of get into how it's doing that transformation maybe that's one you know kind of not too presumptuous way of thinking about, you know, there, there's something in the middle between inputs and outputs that seems to be doing some like, you know, not always predictable, but you know, useful for some purpose, um, transformation of these inputs to outputs, whether it be, you know, that obviously can be like behaviors or literal, you know, you know, literal products. But I like the way you kind of resist, uh, some of these, Labels or you know familiar terms that that people you know just kind of use perhaps without fully you know grappling with what they contain or what they imply.
1: And and maybe if I can just like mo- motivate that a bit more. Like I think I think this is quite crucial to do insofar as like the very thing we're confused about is like what sort of thing will future AI even be like? What sort of like um, process will this instantiate? And if we start with like you know pretty like anthropomorphic concepts to start with. Like I'm just I'm just not particularly confident um that this will be like like it might turn out right, but like I would like to be right for the right reasons, right? And not not by luck. And I think there's some arguments just coming from a place of sort of like, cool, like our minds have evolved in an evolutionary context that like make me good at noticing phenomena at a certain scale, temporal and spatial scale, um, but not at a different one. Um, like there's like phenomena that happen at much lower time scale that they're just not you know they don't get propagated into my attention or at much faster scales and I, I can't see them um and I think if we have them like and I think so that there's sort of like anthropomorphism creeping in here like there's some things my mind is trained to to see and be able to understand or like notice um and yeah like what if an as system is will be sufficiently alien or instantiate sufficiently really alien behavior that I won't by default see it. I like will actually need to like enhance my ability to like sense the world around me with these sort of scientific um, theories or or like ways of measuring things um, that will allow me to like see beyond my sort of like evolutionally prime sort of spatial and um, temporal s- scales.
2: Yeah, it's quite it's quite a high wire act, really. I find. You know, for myself, I've I definitely put myself into the mostly the first camp to date, right? Of in the in the three buckets that we've used here, the first one being based on the assumption that future systems will look like current systems. I'm not always necessarily fully conscious of of that, but I guess I'm also just trying to wrestle sometimes with what are the current systems and what can they do, you know, before even trying to get into the future. And in that line of work, I really try to avoid analogies. And, you know, because I find often, and, you know, again, I have the benefit of mostly focusing on currently existing systems that I can actually bring, you know, the normal procedures of experimentation and, and science to not always with full access to the weights, of course, but, you know, with at least some access to things that really exist. And I find it more often than not, when people try to make analogies or use metaphors, that that ends up confusing the situation more than it helps. But again, with this problem of epistemic access, where you're really specifically saying, I want to try to figure out, you know, what the future might look like, and I'm not, you know, going to assume that it's going to look like the present in these particular ways, then you sort of have no choice but to make some uh, leaps. So I, I think it's it, that's why I say it's a high wire act because you're you're really challenged to figure out what parts of current ways of thinking are useful, and you know at what point do we maybe cross over into you know diluting ourselves or confusing ourselves? You can maybe just unpack that at a conceptual level more, and then I definitely want to get into some of the particulars because you, you know your your big project is essentially recruiting talent, you know, from different backgrounds and, and starting to refocus their energy on the study of
0: AI. And
2: it's been cool to see how many different types of people you've been able to attract
0: already. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Omniki um, uses generative AI to enable you to launch hundreds of thousands of ad iterations that actually work, customized across all platforms with a click of a button. I believe in Omniki so much that I invested in it and I recommend you use it too. Use Cogrev to get a 10% discount.
1: Let me just give one more sort of clarification where I think like so far we've like framed the epistemic approach quite sort of centrally around like what will future systems look like. And and I think this is like an important motivator, but I also want to like I want to make some argument about how um I think it is very important to look at current systems and actually how some of these approaches are also meant to provide productive insight into current systems. There might be several ways this might happen, right? This might either happen by, so like one sort of more mundane example might be, hey, like neuroscience has um, several decades of attempts behind itself, trying to like figure out what's happening in the brain. Um, What methodologies have been developed? What methodologies have been shown to work? More or less, well, are any of those important to AI interpretability, ML interpretability. And like, so we had like some fellows in the past basically just making that translation, but that translation, you know, happening to like, like is going towards trying to understand current systems, but taking inspiration from how we have studied intelligent behavior in, in other types of systems. And um, yet another example might just be cool, like, yes, we will want to look at current ML systems, but like, what are different frames of theories or models? through which to like um, conceptualize ML systems, right? And like, yes, there is a low-level matrix multiplication thing going on, but what are other things, right? Like active inference, FEP, like free energy principle minim- uh, minimization frames might be like, it might be one example here of like, it's it's uh, trying, it's self-conceiving as being like a theory of cognition. Is this a productive frame to use to look at? Um, state of the art ML systems. And if so, like what does it suggest about their behavior, how they will scale, right? Like how, what they will do if they like come into touch with with the world around them. So yeah, I just want to sort of clarify it's not just about future systems that don't exist yet, but maybe also what are useful frames to like understand current current existing systems.
2: And also even you know between those two, there's the question of as current systems just get you know, more broadly deployed and begin to kind of shape the environment. You know, then you've got all kinds of uh, dynamics. You know, that um, I think are very much not yet in existence, but you know, probably more predictable. And, and I think that's also a really interesting middle ground that your work touches on in various ways. So when we were preparing for this, I had organized my thinking and and the way that I was going to approach the the questions around the different fields, there are different, you know, kind of academic backgrounds that people might be coming from. And I used the term borrowing, and I was kind of inspired a little bit by Tyler Cowan, who's, you know, always going around saying, where are the models? You know, we, we, nobody has written down an explicit model of like, what's gonna, what's gonna happen, what's gonna go wrong. And now there's starting to be a little bit of that. And I think you're, you know, con- again, building the, the field that's gonna bring more of that. But you challenged my thinking there a little bit and said, like, okay, first of all, borrowing, if I understand it correctly, you're kind of saying borrowing is often a little too narrow. It it sort of suggests that there's like a key idea from a particular field that we can just kind of quickly snap over. And it's unfortunately not usually that simple. I guess in the analogy frame would be like assuming a tighter analogy than, in fact, exists so tell me how you prefer to think about the move from you know one kind of background to studying ai
1: it's really really multifaceted right like i don't i don't i was thinking a bit about it and i don't have like one single answer to like this is the thing that happens or something like actually a bunch of different things can happen um but it it can try like there's a there's a few different things i can give examples of right so like i mean i think this can range from you know, very simple, like, there's some facts about the world that might be interesting, right? Like, size of mammalian brains, like, that, that can be a fact that sort of informs some of our priors around thinking about or forecasting around AI. I right? think like, that might be a fact we take from one discipline to it that's helpful, but it's sort of like, sort of kind of small scale. And I think from there, we can really extend to, like, theoretical frameworks, models that live at, like, different levels of abstraction, and for each of which we can sort of ask, is this a productive way of like asking this specific question in AI alignment, whether you're like, Hey, should we use like game theoretic frames to think about what are the strategic implications of like several, uh, AI agents interact with each other. And can we like, you know, borrow like principal agent concept from economics to like conceptualize what we mean by the alignment problem, can we use methodology so like sort of mathematical often methodology say from like the complex systems to like model complex interactions the example i gave before right like what methodologies um exist in the neurosciences that have been used to like try to understand what's what's happening in these like highly connected um networks so so yeah we play with model theories concepts, with methodologies and then i think there's also something like like slightly more metal like epistemic practices so like I've been recently reading up on something that I've been finding quite inspiring, um, This is sort of philosophy of science, history of science work on the field of bioengineering. And I, th- I feel like it's a pretty productive sort of metaphor or example, case study for some work in AI alignment. And um, there, I guess like the main idea here is something like in bioengineering, why right, do you have on the one hand, you have sort of like high level theoretical work on like, you know, like how different organisms how different how cells work what it, what is happening within a body and then on the engineering side you're interested in like being able to do specific things with your knowledge right like um c- control specific uh things like create specific products that help us to do something specific that we have in mind and and bioengineering is sort of like the combination of this two right like how can the theory help us? produce the sort of like pharmaceutics or something that like do what we want them to do. And what you see in bioengineering is that you have to like real world organism is really complex, really, really high detail. And also sometimes it may be like unethical to just like, you know, fiddle around with it. So like you rely a lot on building sort of like simulations or models, which you build specified by your understanding of the theory. And on which you then do sort of a bunch of engineering work and then sort of only occasionally go like into like actual organism and and, um, uh, like see whether like this worked out. And I think this like conversation between applied and theory that we can like study in in this like case of bioengineering, for example, is a pretty apt um, metaphor as well for like I think some of the like um, AI alignment or AI safety work that I'm most excited about where like I want I want that to be applied work that like actually has like a concrete bat at like helping us make these systems safer. But I also want that work to be like well informed and sort of conceptually rigorous. Like we're using a lot of terms from intelligence to agency to goal directedness to deception that are like really vague. And um, in order for you to like come up with an experiment that like actually you know the results that you get or actually what you like think they are or something like to get results that you can actually trust we need for these experiments to be like well motivated and conceptually well grounded and I think that's like sort of where this like theory and applied um work comes together and so say, yeah that might just be a third example which is more like what was the practice of different fields that help us you know do do different types of interdisciplinary work in in AI safety
2: if I understand your approach correctly I guess there's the sort of intellectual level of the approach and then the you know practical approach. Instead of saying, hey, AI is a big deal and we need, you know, a lot of people to think about it. Let's go get some people from here and there and you know try to assemble them, it seems like you're starting with questions that you think are important about the future of the AI timeline. And then working from those out to go figure out, okay, well, what are the best, most applicable, you know, most likely to produce useful insight fields, I guess, is a word, you know, uh, ways of thinking, you know, uh, methodologies, perhaps the better term that we could try to pull in. So do you want to kind of run down some of the top questions that you've been focused on? And then you can like, for each one, you can kind of unpack like, you know, I guess, first of all, you know, why do you think that's important? Um, and then, you know, where have you gone to find people who might have the right tool set to bring to bear? And then this is probably a good time also to mention, like, you are actually doing this, like, you're bringing people together. This is what PIBs is, right? It's a program that that actually helps facilitate people making this sort of leap. So you can also get into specific individuals, if you want, and like projects that they've done um, that kind of show, you know, some of the early fruits of this approach.
1: Cool. So I'm going to go through sort of different clusters, which is like partially how I'm, how I'm thinking about this. I guess like one cluster that is quite fundamental is something like, just in sort of quite fundamental terms, understanding what is intelligent behavior, what is like agentic goal-directed behavior, what is autonomous behavior, which is, which is relevant because part of the premise is that we might be coming to like instantiate these types of behaviors artificially and of course if you like get really powerful agentic or autonomous behavior well that might be dangerous if you don't understand it well so like but then also at the same time right like these terms are really fuzzy what do we even mean by them can we can we actually do science on them like can we have like some sort of grounded, mechanistic understanding of what's going on here how do these behaviors come about and also what's the logic of how they how they work and like so that that is a big cluster and just like some examples I guess to invoke here I think I'd say there's an entire cluster on sort of like complex systems, which, which itself is like a, a very diverse cross-disciplinary field, but like various methods in, in complex systems that are, I think, essentially trying to ask, right? Like, how does it, how do we, like, how do we get agents out of atoms, right? Like at some point, we just had a world full of atoms and they seem kind of easy to understand. And then at some later point we had a bunch of agents doing things what's going on um uh so so i think these are examples and then like a bit more concretely like i guess like recently we've been um talking more with people from the field of artificial life which like you know has like this can be sort of more applied mathematical work this can be more it's like simulation based work but a field that is like essentially asking like what is agency how does it come about can we like Implement it. Do we can we understand? Can we like thoroughly understand how it works so that we could come to implement it? What does that field has to offer to AI alignment? Um, insofar as like a lot of the risk phenomena we would be worried about have to do with these like complex, sophisticated behaviors. Uh, but but then I think another another way of going about this would be sort of more from the biological angle. Right? So like biological systems have developed these behaviors. There is more and more fields like trying to bridge maybe this like biological cognitive angle um where like well how do we biological systems come to exhibit these like cognitive um tendencies so I've, I've mentioned at the earlier there's sort of like basal cognition type work that is trying to ask right out of these like very simple systems how do we how do these sort of get complexified and and hierarchically scaled up such so that to, to like um that they eventually exhibit and um, very Complex sophisticated behaviors. Um, and then also from sort of um, the social sciences, like an example here might be there's a there's a like a long-standing question the social sciences asking, or in sociology asking, like sort of agency versus structure debate, right? Like if you if you're trying to explain social phenomena, when should you explain them in terms of like individual human agents um taking action? And when should you explain them in terms of like higher level structures? Um, having like causal force, and there's just sort of like this is essentially in the end the question of causality, right? Like, do you know does the market do things? Do like political institution do things? Or is it at the end of the day always human individuals? There's like a philosophical question here, and there's to something, and also sort of like a mathematical question of like how do you model this, and and where do emergent um, causality emergent phenomena um, trying to understand this. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's sort of like, that's definitely a field where, like a, a, a cluster where, like, a lot of different fields, I think, have potentially productive insights. Yeah, understanding, like, how sort of multi scale systems uh, work. And I guess, like, maybe one other example, if in here, would be something like, how are these complex systems structured? So, like, so there's, like, in biology, we see a lot of examples of modularity. Um, so you have like modularity brains um, developing like modularity networks. Some sort of this seems to be something that uh, evolutionally gets gets selected for. You also see that to some extent in social systems. So like, there's some work asking where do like the boundaries of firms come from? Like, why are firms? Why do firms have boundaries in this way and not some other way? Why are we not just like contracting everyone? Like that's weird. And like, what are the answers to that? Which I think is like. In some sense, looking as, as, at a similar thing, like how does structuration um, and and individuation happen in different systems?
2: Are, are there any like examples of projects that you have brought people together to do in within that cluster?
1: They're all quite detail-heavy, so like, um, how to best talk about them? So like, maybe one example would be someone sort of like coming in with the the premise of like. You know like there was a time when we were really confused about what temperature was and we weren't sure whether the temperature was a thing or whether there were civil things going on or like and eventually we came to be able to like, measure temperature and like have a sense for like what that phenomena is and like what if the same is true for agency like what, what if like agency is actually a thing agency agentic behavior like what what if that's a thing that could be measured um across systems if just beyond the it property and then going into um like often sort of like physics inspired questions right like what would it what would it mean to to come up to with a solid solid measure of of agentic behavior. There might be one angle. Uh, there's another line of work that I'm interested in, which is sort of like related to hierarchical agency or like hierarchical alignment. So like it seems like we see in a lot of systems in the wild that they actually have this hierarchical structure where there's maybe like Uh, to some extent, agentic behavior happening at different levels of abstraction. Um, And you might wonder what level of abstraction is the one you should be looking at or like what's the relationship between these levels of abstraction. So like one example here might be, you know, there's like individual cells, there's like tissues in my body and then there's me overall. And all of this have like, depending on what frame I take, like some claim to be like, this is like a relevant level of abstraction to look at. Um, In particular, like usually my cells kind of like, are nicely aligned with what I want to do. But like occasionally you get things like cancer, where it's like individual cells sort of getting like information decoupled from the overall systems and then like starting to kind of like act against uh, the, the goal of the the higher level system. So that might be an example here of like a hierarchical like misalignment. And then you can start to ask, why right, Like how A, in the first place, do you scale up these levels of interactions or shit to like get some like, something coherent at the the higher levels and then also what are ways that like the alignment gets kept in place or breaks um and obviously you like see this in other places right you can look at the economy and be like there's individual economic agents there's like you know high level abstractions that like usually in economics we think a lot about high level abstractions like organizations etc uh so, so so that's a line of work um which you can tackle both conceptually both from the like biological angle of like how does this happen in biology and from the like mass complex systems angle, like how do we even model this um this sort of
2: phenomena? Is it uh, too soon to ask if there are any insights that um, you know are simple enough to impart to people?
1: Yeah, I, I think like very clearly like, results are like st- struggle just like in simple terms pointing at them. I do I do think um, this is like a frame on even like formulating what we might mean by AI safety or AI alignment that I think is a productive frame among other ones. So like if some people are maybe familiar with this, like um, some of the arguments for like why AI risk might be concerned, for example, what is called um, inner optimizers or optimization. So like you, you, sort of a dynamic where you have like an, an an outer sort of optimization process, but that sort of spinning off, like an inner optimization process that can come to have goals that are like misaligned from each other. Um Sort of a simple example of this might be potentially sort of like uh evolution overall trying to optimize inclusive fitness and then like that spitting out an agent like humans or species like humans that have goals of their own. So like that would be a, like a simple example sort of some nuance uh, neglected here. But that seems to be like an example of a hierarchical thing in a similar way I've described it before happening. So like getting an answer to like what are the like keys to alignment between hierarchical, like, levels um, will potentially be productive here. Or, like, I guess another frame on this could be something like we we have developed in end of the 20, 20th century, like, language to talk about the strategic implications of multiple agents interacting with, your, with each other at the same level of interaction, which is game theory, which we can now use to, like, talk about what might, what is happening in different situations where we get multiple agents uh interacting you know what what would something like vertical game theory look like here like what can we can we come to say something principled is about what are the strategic causal interactions between agents at different levels of abstraction um can we have like a mathematical framework that allows us to think about this more productively
2: so this is all under the the cluster of questions around like where does agency come from you know is it something that we could potentially have a quantity measure for? is it you know inherently hierarchical or whatever and then if you were to take this same question of like ai agents to somebody who is an application developer they would say well i know what an ai agent is it's a language model that i give a goal and put in a loop and kind of allow it to take a step and then get some feedback from the environment and then just have it take another step And I just kind of keep looping until, you know, I either hit my goal or I like get stuck long enough that I abort. And I guess I wonder, like, how do I, how do you develop an intuition for which assumptions or, you know, which, which sort of, you know, where, where are the valid analogies and, and where are the invalid analogies? You know, I also look at a transformer and I'm like, in some sense, you could say this is hierarchical but in other ways you know it's like kind of one directional and you know it's certainly not that much like the hierarchy of like our bodies right you know where there's sort of these clearly different like scales and it seems like the higher level scales largely can you know control or direct you know but also take feedback from the lower it doesn't seem like that kind of stuff is going on in a transformer maybe it is and we just can't you know, see it, or it's happening in some sort of weird, smushed, you know, smeared out way over the course of the forward pass. But all these questions are, like, are so interesting. And then I, I'm, I'm still at the end. I'm like, how do I know how much of this I should believe? How, how would you kind of coach me in developing my sense for that?
1: The, the whole point about analogies or sort of proxies is that no single analogy or proxy is true. Like, like that's what we mean when we say analogy or proxy. Like instead, I think the thing to go for is that when we're very confused about a phenomenon, we have sort of limited immediate access to it, and it's like you know like the territory is very detailed, and we only have maps to to try to think about it, and they're never they're never perfect. Um, instead of being like, what's the perfect map that will give me all the answers I want, what I'm interested in is something one might describe as like a sense of like epistemic pluralism, where if I get a bunch of different proxies at different maps, different perspectives on the same phenomena, um, I can sort of triangulate it between them. And then I can come to form what are hopefully more robust guesses about what actually holds about this system. So the more sort of like independent from each other perspectives I have on this thing, but like, say all of the perspectives do suggest that like feature A is something and like only one of those perspectives says feature B is also something, I have more confidence that feature one is in fact the thing. And because I think we sort of, like, lack the sort of, like, this is the one true map for understanding this this phenomena, um, the sort of, like, pluralistic perspective and seeking for sort of, like, epistemic robustness through plural perspectives is, is what I'm after. So, th- so that's one match chance, right? Like, you should always be suspicious of the analogies and proxies you use. But if you use a bunch of them and they sort of, like, converge or sort of, like, real on some aspects, you should be more confident about those aspects involved. Than- so that's one, and then I guess there's like another thing to say here, which is like, there's very different types of analogies, right? It could be like, well, we could like loosely talk about, oh, in what ways is like a language model like a human? And sort of like speculate about that, and then there's like another way in which I'm like, oh, we could like uh, have some sort of mathematical model, and be like, how would we, how would we like describe this phenomenon in question through this mathematical model? different levels of precision, uh, different, different sort of epistemic statuses to both of these things. One, the former maybe like more geared towards inspiring new hypotheses, which is like a valid thing to do. But like, you're just you're just generating hypotheses at this point. Um, and another maybe more geared towards like falsifying whether like a specific hypothesis is
2: productive or not. Maybe another way as I'm trying to put this into my own words, another way I might frame it is a lot of this work kind of takes the form of if this, then that, and we don't know what value of this is going to pertain at various points in the future, but by like doing a bunch of if this, then that sort of work, we can hopefully be more prepared and be ready as new things start to emerge and say, okay, what is this? And hopefully have a bunch of Ready analysis for a bunch of different, you know, possible vices that we may encounter. Um, so, you know, better to go push all those frontiers in advance, even not knowing which one will will actually pertain. But it's it, it then just becomes really important to get clear on like what are the assumptions, you know, and and what would we need to see in a future AI system. To have confidence that this way of thinking about it is going to be productive.
1: That's right. And like, just I mean, giving a, a bit more, like, one slightly more applied example. Still, like, I am definitely on the more concrete end. One of the things I'm most hopeful about is this sort of theory being able to like productively inform both interpretability and sort of like eval evaluations type work. So like in evaluations type work what you, what you're doing essentially is be like, okay, here is a risk phenomena, here is like some sort of dynamic this, this AI systems could produce that we would be worried about. Can we find it in the AI system? And for that to like happen in a way that I would, you know, would be somewhat confident it actually succeeded, we need to have a good characterization of of what we mean and if you're like trying to look for, does the system, you know, act autonomously, pursue goals over like long horizons, is deceptive. Like you need to have like a good account of what you mean by deception. And it's actually pretty fraught. It's actually pretty hard to like specify what we mean there. So I think that's like, can we come up with frames, accounts here that can help us do evaluation work better? And the other, the other similar application is something like in interpretability, you also, to some extent. I mean, you can do very bottom-up interpretability and just be like, what do I find? But um, you can also be like, what am I even looking for, right? Like, am I looking for planning? Okay, cool. Like, what would that even look like? And these questions, it's just like, gets hard and, and having sort of like an epistemically plural way of informing how to interpret what you're finding um, seems, seems productive. And I think that's like at the more, at the more like applied side of,
2: of the spectrum. So you want to move on to some other clusters of questions?
1: Yeah, I guess an important other cluster. It's it's in a similar way of just like pretty fundamental trying to understand what we're dealing with, but like a bit more focused on like I guess like minds and cognition in general. What I have in mind here is like most of the like brain sciences, why right? like neuroscience, cognitive sciences, and then to some extent, I guess like philosophy of mind, um, comparatives. And um, studies between like animal-human cognition, right? Like how is like cognition evolved? Evolutionary, there's like some work on this. Can thus inform our understanding of what we even mean by like, doing higher level cognition? Such that, again, we have sort of a grounded way of thinking about this or a like, more grounded way of thinking about this in the AI case. This can then go to different places, right? From, I've, I've mostly mentioned, applications for interpretability. How do humans come to be pretty good at deductive reasoning and arithmetics? How does that? How is this similar and different from like transformers? What about the ways in which transformers are brittle, like or kind of brittle in this this way? Do should we just expect they're like stop being brittle in this entirely? Because like human brains also are just big connectomes. What's going on here? Where do motivations come from? Right, like what do intrinsic motivations come from? Could we understand this process well enough to just engineer motivations, into systems that then sort of are reliable? Or like what are the limitations to that? How does theory of mind work, right? Like higher order animals all seem to have this capacity to like model other agents. That That's kind of a wild thing. AI systems with theory of mind, we're getting into sort of like maybe higher order capabilities around deception or situational awareness. Like what's that like? Again, human minds seem to do a lot of this. What is it? How do we identify it? How might it come about in AI systems? There, there's also some work happening Come like Steve Bryan's is like working on like brain-inspired, like, alignment proposals, right? Like, taking this, like, brain analogy really seriously and being like, what would it now look like to, like, actually make AI systems safe based on that? So, like, not just interpretability, but safety proposals. Um, so that might be another another application. One other another cluster, and you, you have actually alluded to this several times, so I'm like, glad I can actually, and finally, mention it as well. I think there's something really important about multiple agents interacting. Definitely classically, the AI risk discourse has focused a lot on, like, the way a single um, advanced AI systems could be pretty harmful. And I think this is like relevant in many ways. But I also think there's like important reasons to expect that what we will see in coming years is a bunch of different AI systems interacting with each other or AI systems interacting with a bunch of humans. Can we come to understand what's going to happen here in a more principled way? Um, one, one frame on this I kind of like is something like, You know, interpretability basically is like trying to look into the system and understand based on its internals, what does it do? How does it behave and why? Um, What I want is kind of like interpretability, but for interacting agents. And I think we're currently extremely far away from that. We're currently even like this is like very, so we had some fellows last summer working on this and I was very excited about this, but it's also very evident how sort of pre-paradigmatic we are, right? Like, it's it's already hard to study complex interactions because in order to make it more tractable, you need to simplify, and then you need to be like, am I simplifying away something that's important to understand what's actually going on? So that's already hard. But then now in the AI case, you're trying to model how different AI systems interact, but like we're not even sure, you know, like what we mean by AI system, right? Do we mean LLMs? Okay, cool. Like we can put in gbd four. And be like how does gb4 interaction with each other with like several instances of each other work out or like different different like characters within the same language model or different like architecture for AI right like it's e- we're even confused about what even AI what we mean by AI what sort of mind is it we're like very low like very weak theory on what how even to like understand its behavior where well, if we model humans interacting with each other we're also very complex but I think sort of our like full psychological assumptions about how we might interact with each other while sometimes problematic, we still have better reasons to expect that they are sometimes valid. Um, but our intuitive assumptions about AI systems and language models, I think they're just like even more fraud and even more likely to be unjustified. So like, I think it's really hard to to make the progress on this. But um, there's various reasons why there might be a lot of risks just coming from the emergent dynamics between interacting models. Um, and like some work has been done on characterizing the risk from this. So yeah, can we, you know, either like use game theoretic um, models, can we use like something like ecology, right? Ecology is interested in different types of species interacting over a set of resources. What are the dynamics? What are the reproductive dynamics, etc. So that could be a frame or obviously like economic, Frames are looking into this.
2: I don't know a lot about this, but I've always kind of thought that ecology seems like a really good frame of reference just because the different forms of life are very different, you know, and whatever ecology is doing, it is at least forced to find some way of integrating into some, you know, single account that all these different things. And I mean, you think like, good God, you know, you've got an octopus and a human and an elephant and, you know, and that's not even that far flung in terms of how different things can be. And so maybe, you know, you could kind of fit pretty weird AIs into those uh, frames as well. I know you have had some folks who have uh, come to the PIBs program from ecology type backgrounds, any kind of again, like results or sort of frames that they have developed that you think have been, you know, useful for developing your own intuitions for what might happen in the future?
1: It's definitely early days and I think I, there's not that many examples of what we've had so far. So like, I have one good friend who's starting a PhD in ecology who's like interested in that. So I'm like, kind of interested in in that and I think I've gained some insights from that. And then we had some um, fellows last summer coming from a sort of evolutionary and ecological perspective. So I think those people have mostly been working on like okay can we even come to um find good like experimental setups that we then can eventually run and give us good insights but like one of the main high level insights is like it's really hard to like come to make good choices here, right like if you let llm systems interact what's the analogy here for like the environment why right? like what are the resources they uh what's the space like in typical eco- ecological models. You often think about space, right? And like you wanna have like control over different space, control over different resources. What's the analogy here in like textual space? What are what are we what are we trading off? What are what are they like coordinating over? How do you how do you run these experiments? It's just all very early days. I think a, another match level insight here is something like a challenge to translation here is that I mean I think this is definitely coming, but um traditionally I think ecology still is very um, you know, informed by going into the field and being like looking at the actual animals interacting and, and, and what's happening there. And I think this is like not very apt um for what we're trying to do here. So we're sort of more talking about a sort of computational ecology um type direction. And that doesn't really exist. Um and I think it needs sort of like bold um individuals with like who happen to find the freedom in their academic context to be like, hey, like I want to combine these insights from ecology with these questions in in physics and math and and AI and computer science. And then you need a supervisor or a a faculty or so. that's like, you should do that. So like, that's that's, that's not a given. Yeah, a a string here that is like a bit theoretical, but I think that I'm interested in is specifically better understanding meta-evolutionary dynamics. So like, I think we have like, people in general have a pretty good sense for like evolution and like what sort of like pressures evolution creates and what that predicts about or like how that shapes our expectations for you know how different systems get shaped but there is even in the in the field of biological evolution sort of like a lot of still open and unclear work on like are evolutionary pressures themselves subject to change and under what logic and what does that mean for in the organism or the like evolution of the organisms. Um and, and is that relevant to understanding future minds or to understanding like the sort of um pressures that act on what motivations and type of behavior we will see emerge from AI systems? Um yeah, I think I think this is conceptually very interesting, but also still on the on the on the conceptual side and not very applied yet.
2: What kind of techniques are you seeing people explore, you know, I can imagine word based analysis, you know, just like a language level. I can imagine pure math, you know, kind of pure, pure analysis. And I can imagine simulation, I guess, just to name three. What sorts of approaches are you seeing people take and, you know, what seems to be kind of most fruitful so far?
1: I've seen some early examples of all of these. um, They all seem potentially relevant. I think it's it's hard. Um, so like textual analysis, right? Like let different instances of LLMs interact with each other, in in prompt them in some way iteratively, and and see how you know this the sort of thing they um, answer evolves. Um, that is, you know, a thing to look at. And you like in principle seem like you could get at what are like the, the dynamics um, of interaction that come out of this, but. I definitely have not in so far seen an experimental setup here that like has um given me much new you know Bayesian evidence towards something being true versus not so like I think I'm conceptualizing this mostly as like this seems clearly work that's warranted this seems clearly something we need to look into but we're not really at a place at the moment where I'm I'm seeing results that like really make the update drastically mathematical modeling most, I guess, of what I've seen is something like formalizing what it would even look like to like use a specific model on AI interactions, um, or on the, like modeling AI systems through that, and then sort of discussion about you know how you would apply it and what what are maybe the, the confusions or shortcomings of that, and that again seems productive, and I feel excited about it. Not very concrete things to point at in terms of results simulation. Yeah, I think this is one of the directions i'm pretty excited about specifically to start to inform evaluations um i think a lot of this is about how do we set up how do we like design experimental setups for current or like state-of-the-art ml systems to like with any meaningful confidence derive are they capable of x or they not capable of x um under what conditions are they what sort of like capabilities can you elicit from them when they start to interact, not just in some artificial sandbox, but like with lots of environmental affordance from the wider worlds, um, how much do their capabilities, um, shift when deployed in, in the wide world that has like a lot of, you know, detail and affordances that they might not have. Um, so like, what would, what would it look like to have a good environmental setup, a experimental setup to elicit this? That's something I think on the like shorter timelines front, I'm like most excited about, um. Work is in progress there. I mean, from sort of like evaluations group, like Arch- ArchEvil, trying to like see whether like these models can reliably self-replicate right? like testing this um, to like trying to, you know, like what would it look like to test whether uh, an AI system ev- evolves something like situational awareness. I'm like kind of excited about um, someone working with us who's like, I think has sort of like early stage uh, stages of the theory of what, how to how how we might conceptualize situational awareness sort of mathematically, such so that that can then inform what sort of like environment uh, experiment would you have to design to like plausibly elicit this this phenomena in AI systems?
2: Are there any historical moments that you think we could learn anything from in terms of just other times in history where we were confronted by something very new and You know had to kind of figure out or you know were challenged to figure out what it might imply i mean there's a lot of analogies that people make between you know ai and the industrial revolution and you know i call this show the cognitive revolution kind of on that basis but i i don't really know much about my senses that our, our track record isn't great you know if you like looked at the predictions from the beginning of the industrial revolution you know hopefully we have better tools now, uh, you know, and better frames to bring to it. But are there any historical moments where people collectively were able to see around the corner and and get a handle on what was to come?
1: I I guess an answer will come in degrees, right? Like, not shakily. So I guess what I'm interested in here is maybe something like, I think industrial revolution and some other examples, electricity, whatever, seem like pretty good examples of like transitions of innovation that has like shaped society pretty transformatively. Um, and I think there's things to learn from this. A transition that I am mostly think we haven't faced so far as a society, in which I think is like one way of thinking about what we're facing at the moment, is us actually becoming able to artificially instantiate highly complex, in- intelligent, in the sense of like autonomous, goal-seeking um, behavior which is like in some important senses different from in, inventing electricity, inventing specific tools. That like that really forces us to grapple with these like very complex phenomena. Like there's some recursive thing going on where an atom, like where a bunch of atoms start to like act in some coherent ways over long time horizons, are able to self-maintain and, you know... Against dissipative pressures and sort of like act in such a way that presses through the noise, right? They like seem to like pursue things despite, you know, facing environmental obstacles. Like something really complex is going on here. Something that's like on its own terms able to like shape the world around us. And I don't think we have like meaningfully dealt with this sort of thing. I mean, like, you know, there's like non human animals around us that have some of these capacities, but. Our approach here was to control them pretty reliably, um, and so like not sort of like in a way that they like clearly span out of span out of control or um, understanding. Um, so I think that's like a historic mo- like one way I'm thinking about the current historic moment or a potentially the current historic moment that I struggle to find uh, analogies to.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, as I listen to you, my mind goes to like. You know, the Neanderthals didn't necessarily see us coming and um, you know, we could even interbreed with them, but uh, still somehow we were different enough that um, you know it didn't didn't go so well for them in the in the grand sweep of history.
1: And and I think a lot of this is about you know the speed or like the sort of like the, the iteration loop. Like if you say, you know, like how much time you have to react to this, when things happen really quickly or otherwise in such a way that humans can't like easily understand what's happening around them, our ability to intervene and course correct, um, or shape the trajectory of the development becomes smaller. And I think that's rather than wanting to say that, like, I think what we're like looking at at the moment is like qualitatively different. I think what we're looking at at the moment is different in on the continuum on this dimension where we are more confused about what we're building. And this is like happening. This like, this development is happening much faster than whatever evolution has produced so far, such that it's just a much more drastic case of, of something that has been going on to some extent from economic improvements. Right. Like industrial revolution has also like sped up a lot of things, but like and already we were struggling with adapting to what what should the institutional framework be for like making sure people are still well in this in under these new conditions? But I I think what we're facing is just like this but much faster. and um, and then potentially also just with this like autonomous dimension, you know, I'm not sure how much civilization capacity we have to, to deal with this particularly well.
2: Yeah, I mean it's an intimidating uh challenge and I commend you for um taking it on in such a direct way and, 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 in such a, you know, unique way from, from all the things I've seen, I, I really think your approach of trying to start with these questions and then go figure out, even if it's not perfect or not even close to perfect, like who might have the best chance at getting traction on these questions. I, I think that is a really inspired approach, you know, and, and, um, maybe in the last few minutes we can kind of talk about like what sort of people you are looking for. You know, you're, you're actively like running this program and bringing people in, but also you have kind of a reading list, uh, which is a place that people can go to like get up to speed on what you deem to be the fundamentals. Um, And obviously this is something that people are going to be increasingly, I think, open to. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like if you're a PhD student or whatever, and you need a, you need a, a mentor who can be open-minded enough to encourage you to go in this direction. I think that is probably going to become increasingly common. So I'd love to just, you know, get a little bit more on kind of the very practical, like what sorts of people do you think should get into this? What do they need to do to to start to get, you know, uh, to, to build their foundation, you know, from which they can really start to hopefully make progress? What kinds of people are you specifically looking for, you know, in, in the program that you're running?
1: Yeah. Just very briefly a quick outline on like a few different programs we run where like the answer is like very slightly different so like um we have been running for the last two years a summer fellowship which is just a three-month you know summer fellowship research fellowship program where we pair and this is like mostly sort of phd level and sometimes um a bit more senior than that with researchers in ai alignment where the idea is to just match people with expertise in one of these source domains one of these domains and that study complex intelligent behavior, natural systems with ALM and researchers. This is three months, so like not always enough time to like get to really groundbreaking insights, but definitely get to build traction and, and that mutual surface error between the fields. And then much more recently, we started a, a new program where we're taking on research affiliates. They tend to be more research experienced, um, where the aim is really to support them in a more tailored and longer term fashion. To, to just like much more sort of like get them to like pursue their individual um, personal research agendas. And then we have some sort of more, you know, low-key, lower-key programs like we World some speaker events from time to time and the reading group that was curated by by TJ um, on like I think a pretty good frame of just like thinking through why is AI element hard and not easy, if it is, but like why, is, why don't we not get this right by default? What are the obstacles we're meeting? Why is this hard? Um, so you should potentially also, to some extent, characterize like this is the sort of conceptual obstacles to be overcome if we are meant to to get this right. So this is meant to sort of provide some surface area in a way that's hopefully pretty um, digestible for f- people from fairly different backgrounds to just build surface area with like what is what are the risk phenomena we are. We are grappling within AI safety to then hopefully provide the sort of surface area such that someone with a specific domain expertise can notice, oh, like maybe this approach we are using in my domain, maybe this like these sort of mathematical tools, these like conceptual tools are maybe a productive angle and untangling one of these these this risk phenomena. So yeah, going a bit more into okay, cool, like what is the sort of like talent where maybe we're particularly excited about and. Um, I think it's like, I guess the most like three things. Like um, something that seems important is surface error with air risk, air safety. What are what are the, the the sort of obstacles to to getting this right? What are the sort of intricacies to where they, where risks come from, or like uh, how how maybe safety should we can achieve safety? Um, so just like some some sort of surface error with uh, the air safety discourse seems very useful. Among others, and this is maybe the second point to say here is like, this is all pretty pretty early stages, right? There is no good one paradigm telling you this is how to think about it correctly. a lot of open questions, a lot of confusions. and especially also in this sort of like knowledge transfer question, I don't have all the like all the answers for like, if you have a background in evolutionary theory, this is what you should work on. Like I'm like, I don't have some ideas. Some are more speculative than others, but a lot is really needing to grapple with, yeah, what could it be? What what seriously could it be? And I think for that, you wanna well understand your search domain really well, have like expertise, but also understand what would it what would a really useful application actually look like. And and yeah, I think in my experience it's just involves both schools, just knowledge, um, skill, um, but also some sort of maybe research experience or just like willingness to to dive into steady open-ended questions. Um, I think I'm also at the margin particularly excited about people who are willing to, even if they don't come from like an ML engineering end, to try to really tie in their domain experience with like, cool, like how could this inform concrete applied applied work, either conceptually in terms of experimental design, in terms of evaluation or interpret- interpretability. I think this edge of like, Really, tying theory up with with applied is is a really difficult one. Um, and what I'm particularly excited in trying to foster, but yeah, that is not to that is neither to undermine the like value of theory nor like the importance to like actually do things that have like some concrete application or like feedback loops in in uh, concrete application.
2: It's going to be a challenge. You know, it sounds like there's um there's certainly a lot more questions and answers, but I guess my Pitch to um, the audience is that the study of AI is also super dynamic, um, still full of l- lots of low-hanging fruit. It seems you know it's like we're we're both pre-paradigmatic and still picking the low-hanging fruit at the same time. In terms of impact, you know c- the the move from a more mature field where you may be refining techniques. You know to a field of ai where you know it is just wide wide open i suspect for many people could feel like quite liberating and you know an opportunity to really ask big and important questions you know some fields are for less affording uh of certainly as they mature so i do think this is something you know the, the more we've talked about just how early it all is and and how sort of how much remains to be done to to figure out how to map these different approaches to trying to figure things out onto the AI challenge, the more I'm just like, man, we need more people to look at themselves and say like maybe I should be one of those people. So my kind of uh, call to action again is don't count yourself out just yet. you know there, there's nobody, there's, there's no like anointed group right now that is um, got it under control or that is going to, you know, that we can say with any confidence is going to, you know, answer the big questions. So pile in and, uh, you know, just sign up for perhaps a bit more of an unpredictable and wild ride than you were perhaps uh, first thinking, you know, when you got into a PhD, but know that the the sense of adventure, the impact that you can make, the scope of the the questions that are on the table to be tackled is just incredible. And you know, for the right personality, that is um, super invigorating. You know, and can be a lot of can be a lot of fun as well as you know potentially extremely valuable to society because this this is coming at us pretty quick, uh, it seems. And you know, again, I just think we we need every Every bit of brain power that we can bring to bear on it we will definitely need that Uh, any closing thoughts on your end
1: yeah there aren't established answers to any of this and in particular we don't have established answers to the solutions and also there's like confusion and room to really clarify how should we best think about the risk and i think i mean this in a like in a productive sense like where we need to want to like you know, maybe all of this is, like, not worth worrying about, nor, you know, we're going to die in this very specific way. Like, I think productive and plural perspective on, like, what could go wrong, that, that seems important and, and not over-indexing on one specific way. So I think, like, both room for pluralism on what different solutions could we find and also what are, what is the right way of really understanding what is what is up here, what is on st- where do the risks come from? Productive rational disagreement should be had on, on each side.
2: Love it. Well, more questions and answers, but again, I invite everybody to join Nora Aman of PIBs and the Alignment of Complex Systems Research Group in jumping in and trying to tackle them. For now, Nora, thank you for being part of the Cognitive Revolution. Thank you so much. It is both energizing and enlightening to hear why people listen and learn what they value about the show. So please don't hesitate to reach out via email at tcr or you can DM me on the social media platform of your choice.